Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. So, Craig, we have a little bit of an announcement to make. Uh, it's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> in my life, things have been changing quite a bit. You know, first we moved to China, and then not long after we moved to China, uh, we found out that my wife, um, my wife and I, by the way, have been married for about 15 years. We found out she was pregnant, and we have given birth to a nice baby boy. Yay! Yay! <laughs> If I had a cigar, I'd be smoking it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. So it's been a really nice, exciting addition to our life. And we thought, what better way to announce that to our listeners than to uh, watch a movie about a demon child? <laughs> this was my idea, folks. Uh, so uh, don't don't blame Todd. And, and, and even when I told him, I'm like, I don't know if it's distasteful or not. Let's do it anyway. Oh, heck no. No, it seems only fitting. It, at least uh, we, we it's kind of like, uh, you know, you go grocery shopping after you've had a really big meal. Um, this is kind of the... <laughs> Kind of the same deal. I think we we maybe we purposely waited uh, to watch these films uh, until after the baby was born, just to make sure everything was going to be okay. <laughs> so you know, we could have chosen a number of things. You'd rattled off Omen, uh, Rosemary's Baby is the obvious choice, but we kind of tend to be into a little more schlock on this uh, on this show. We. At least those are the ones we have a little bit more fun with from time to time. And there's one movie that has been on my list forever, and I don't think, Craig, you had ever seen before either. But I think we nope. both had wanted to see it, and that is the 1974's It's Alive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this one's been on my radar for quite some time, and I think it's because I always grew up sort of knowing about this movie. I mean, I was born in 1978, and so as we were kind of crossing the threshold from the 70s and the 80s, my parents had a lot of stuff around the house, like, I don't know, like from movies from the 70s, and It's Alive, I think my parents maybe had the soundtrack to it. And so, uh, you know, look, looking through our record collection and things like that, um, I think I had been, I had seen the cover for it uh, at times, and just this this crib with a claw reaching over the side of it. And it had always been intriguing to me. So I knew I knew the movie had existed, probably even saw it on the shelves of the video store, but never actually got a chance to sit down and watch it. So um, this was the time. H- how about you, Craig? Had you seen this before? Or Nope. And I'm I'm really surprised that neither of us had seen it because yeah. this is one of those ones that, you know, we say it all, all the time, but you and I grew up in a uh, video store culture. And this is one of the ones that, you know, I saw on the shelves and, you know, that box art, like you said, with the crib, with the claw kind of coming out um, or excuse me, stroller, whatever it is. It was always intriguing and not just not just this one, but then there were a couple of sequels, too, that yeah. uh, uh, used similar imagery. And uh, it, it did always intrigue me. And, and yet somehow I had never seen it until yesterday. So, uh, no, it was new to me, too. And I guess this film eventually did pretty well. Obviously, well enough to warrant a couple sequels, but initially, the you know after it was made, there was some the studios changed hands a little bit. There was some shakeup in the executive branch or whatever, and uh, people the studio itself kind of lost interest in the movie, which surprises me a little bit. Uh, but in any case, it eventually got released almost three years, I think, after its initial release in like one theater in Chicago. Uh, they came out with a 
pretty impressive little marketing campaign with a little slogan uh, that drew people in. It ended up making a little over $7 million, which I think is pretty good for the time. And again, enough for, to, to warrant some sequels. And the writer-director is Larry Cohen. And Larry Cohen himself has done a ton of things. I mean, if you go to IMDb, you'll see that he's got over 80 writing credits, a lot of it uh, in TV, a uh, number of films. Uh, he tends to be in the more horror-slash-sci-fi-slash-Twilight-Zone-y type crime kind of things that he's done in the past. And his movies, you know, you've you've heard of them. Uh, he did The Stuff. He did Maniac mm-hmm. Cop. He even did a yep. black exploitation flick called Black Caesar, uh, of all things. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> And I think Richard Roundtree was in it. I mean, it's 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 so weird the variety of stuff. And this guy started out as a page at NBC, and so that he started writing for television and just worked his way up the ranks there. He even did a remake of It's Alive uh, back in the early aughts, I think. That I think kind of came and went as well. Was there any? Did you hear anything about that? Or <laughs> yeah, I didn't know he did it. You know. Uh... <laughs> Funnily enough, I've seen the remake. Oh, you um, have? <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Uh, I remember seeing it. I don't know. It, it wasn't when it first came out. It was on Netflix or something I, when I saw it. And this doesn't speak much to the quality of the film, I guess, because I, I really don't remember it at all, <laughs> um, except for that I, I know that I saw it. And watching uh, the original definitely kind of brought back some memories of the remake. Um, but the remake, as is often the case with uh, these older subgenre kind of movies, it, it just it wasn't this movie if you can say anything for it, it, it is unique. And um, I think that uh, the original, or excuse me, the remake just didn't really capture anything special. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. kind of ho-hum. It, it was all right. I don't remember much about it. It was bloody and and stupid. Um, that's <laughs> another thing. Uh, this is another first for us, I think, if I remember correctly, because if I if I remember correctly, this is the first PG movie we've ever, reviewed oh yeah um, you're right uh and and i when i when we looked it up i was surprised i was like pg wow like, <laughs> we're, we're usually dealing in at least pg-13 if not beyond that and and i was surprised because really i don't know if i would say it's scary yeah. it's unsettling it, it more than scary it's unsettling but i i was still surprised to find that it was pg i know that i looked i i i haven't seen the sequel there are two sequels um and i haven't seen either one and and I know that the next one was rated R, but I was reading and viewer reviews um, said that the sequel is no worse when it comes to gore or sex or violence or language than the uh, original. Really? And yet it got an R rating. I imagine it's probably just because this one came out and was placed in the horror genre, got the rating that it did, uh, but then the next one just being a horror sequel, I think uh, probably got the R rating just for falling into that category. But uh, yeah, a PG rating for this one, which is interesting just because I'm surprised that it got through the ratings board with a PG just based on the subject matter. I mean, yeah. uh, it, it's weird, you know, an evil baby, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
it's just kind of a weird it's just kind of a weird subject matter i guess but um yeah i don't know i'll, I'll be interested to see what you thought of this movie because it I, frankly when i was watching it I, I i liked the premise it was an interesting premise i felt like maybe it dragged on a little bit too long and, and it's not long it's only an hour and a half um, but I kind of found myself looking at my watch and I was thinking, you know, the whole time, oh, this is a little long. It could have been an hour. But then when I got to the end, the very end, um, I was a little bit more affected uh, mm. than I expected to be as a new dad. <laughs> because really, the, 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 movie, the movie is really kind of centers around the dad it the does. new dad and so uh i'll be interested to see what you thought well you know i i, I felt exactly the same way and and i didn't know if it was just because uh, i'm a new dad or what you know but uh i'm in, i'm glad to hear you felt a little similarly it, it's different from a lot of the other like evil kid movies are not that unusual i, I mean you go to right. rosemary's baby and that's but but the, but this is different because it's uh, Rosemary's Baby is really about like the spawn of Satan, you know, and right, uh, right. so that's kind of a whole different deal. And then you get something like The Omen or The Good Son, and that's really more about a troubled and disturbed child, right? Um, right, right. But this is the first time where it's like the baby's born, and the baby is like not of this earth almost. When otherwise the parents are completely normal and there doesn't seem to be a really good explanation for why. So it is unique. You're right. And it's a little jarring in that sense, more jarring than I thought it would be. I mean, I knew what we were coming into, but I guess I didn't expect to be as moved by it by the end of it as I was. So, uh, you know, like you said, it's a little plotting, and it sort of has the feel of an older, like, t made-for-TV movie, or like a really mm -hmm. long episode of something from, you know, a 70s show. And mm -hmm. a lot of that, I think, has to do with the score and the way it's paced. Honestly, the minute the score came on, and, and the person who scored this was his, did, did a lot of scoring for television, especially uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents series, it kind of sounds like a 1950s-style B-movie. Mm -hmm. it, it really has that feel to it, where everything is scored throughout, and it has... That was good. That was good. Good job. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> I thought so. It, it has that motif, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I, I, I think the score is really strong. And this guy who did it, uh, Bernard Herman, I get, like you said, he did a lot of Hitchcock. He is behind the score for uh, Psycho um, oh, and, and, and did a lot of other big name stuff, too. So um, it feels like 1974. And yeah. because it feels like 1974, it feels a little bit cheaper. But I, I don't think that that's necessarily because... I, I, I think it's because of the time, um, not necessarily because of any other aesthetic. Um, but but the the score, like it's like this orchestral score behind the whole thing, and yeah. um, I really I really enjoyed it. I did too. And the other thing that I think makes it feel 1970s is it has this almost a lack of a sense of urgency about it. And I was trying to figure out if this was a good thing or a bad thing, but there's almost a reality to the movie. In some ways, it felt overwrought, but in other ways, it felt completely not overwrought. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and let's just get into it, and maybe we can pick that apart as to yeah. what we're talking about. So uh, basically, it jumps right in. It's evening time, and this was very familiar to me. There's a, a woman and a man who are sleeping in bed, uh, and the one, you know, Frank and Lenore, <laughs> two mm-hmm. very white bread American names. And Frank yep. wakes up, and uh, Lenore says, I think it's happening. And Frank's like, oh, really? And he kind of gets a smile on his face. And they get up and they go into Chris's room and they say, yep, the, the baby's coming. So, you know, they pack their things. And immediately I said, this is got to be one of the most accurate portrayals of childbirth that I've ever seen in a movie. Because, you know, what you normally see in the movies is this overly dramatic, like, oh, no, the baby's coming. Oh, my God, my water broke. Like, get in the taxi quick. And they're running and they're throwing things together. And it's like it's this sudden urgent thing. And... Anyone who's ever had a kid can tell you it is not that urgent. Like, <laughs> you could be in labor for, like, 22 hours. Like, right. the, basically, the hospital tells you once you start feeling contractions, you basically start timing them. And only when they get to this, you know, certain length of time for so much time do you even think about going to the hospital. And even then, don't run. Take a shower, get something to eat, right. because you're probably going to be there forever. And the fact that these this is their second kid, right? They have this son, Chris, who's probably, I don't know, yep. seven or eight, maybe even a little older. He's oh, 11. Oh, uh, I, <laughs> that's right. It's mentioned, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Not that that's at all important, but you were paying attention. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> He's 11 years old. I was like, yeah, that's exactly how it is. And they're just very chill about it. And they kind of go into the baby's room, make sure that they've got a crib there. You know, they give us kind of a little tour of the house and we meet the family a little bit as they're packing up and they go to the hospital. And then it, it's the movie shows its age in so many ways, but it definitely shows its age in the way that the pregnancy is treated because it's immediately, and this is what they used to do. You know, they would separate the men from the women. Uh-huh. Uh, pregnancy was the woman's job and she went in uh, alone with the doctor and the nurses and had the baby whereas dad would sit out in the lounge with all the other expecting fathers you know smoking and smoke and cigarettes yeah, yeah <laughs> waiting nervously <laughs> to find out that everything was okay you know definitely not how it's done today but def- but absolutely the way that they felt it should be done even just not even that long ago man i mean maybe it- i know i mean these are our parents right so Anyway, they drop Chris off at Charlie's as a neighbor. So they've clearly, you know, worked all this out. And the neighbor is a really nice guy and more than happy to uh, to take the kid. And oh, g- good luck. See you guys later. And in just a very quiet and subdued way, they go to the hospital. Um, even though it's nighttime and it seems like this hospital has nothing going on, there just happen to be like three other dads also waiting <laughs> in yeah. the waiting room. Um, but even when the mother, uh, when Lenore is taken in, she keeps remarking, this just feels different. This feels different. Mm-hmm. And, and when she's in the delivery room, the doctor's almost like an asshole to her. We'll, we'll check you before we really do anything. You know, I heard, I You're doing something. just great. Just relax. It's really, di- it's really been different you, than Chris. You've done you your share. We'll do ours now. Something's wrong. I know something's wrong. Uh, it's nothing really wrong, honey. It's just a very, very big baby. Uh, it's going to be fine, but I need your help. You know, I know when you have a. Wrong? How big was your last baby? How big was your last baby, did you say? Seven pounds, four ounces. I told you that this baby was different than Chris. This baby is just gigantic. Again, 
so unlike most pregnancies as they're portrayed in the movies. This is so like how it is. You settle in and you kind of feel like you're in it for the long haul. I mean, my wife's labor took like six hours and then she ended up having to have an emergency C-section at the end of it. You know what I mean? You Mm -hmm. just don't know how these things are going to go and it just takes time and it's slow. But for whatever reason, um, she feels like things are a little different, and the doctor's you know, basically telling her, don't worry about it, um, and he's going to remove the, the head with the forceps. And I think before we get to the point where the baby comes out, we have to say a little bit about the character of Frank. It's an interesting contrast that they portray of him as opposed to the other fathers in this waiting room. Whereas the other fathers seem like really nervous, and one of them's like getting up and sitting down and getting up, and he's trying to buy something from the vending machine, and he can't, and he starts kicking the machine. He's like, it ain't my quarters. You know, Frank just sort of calmly stands up, walks over, pats him on the shoulder, and says, here are your two quarters. Go ahead, why don't you have a seat? You know, let's play some poker. Mm-hmm. Throughout this whole movie, he's really seems to be the kind of guy who's trying to be cool and calm and aloof about absolutely everything. Whether it's a a persona he is he feels like he has to put on, or whether it is um, just the way his character is, he's a PR guy. I felt like the character of Frank was really well drawn in this movie. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's a and that's the thing. I I feel like they're they're trying to portray both of these couple or both of the members of this couple, both Frank and Lenore. I feel like they're trying to. To, uh, portray them as these are normal people, you know. Like yeah. this is this is a guy who works uh, in PR, and he's you know kind of the man of the family. And um, Lenore is very much the wife and the mother. And there's an interesting dynamic between them. Like when she's in labor, she says something like, yeah. oh, "I'm glad." I'm glad we decided to have the baby, aren't you, sweetheart? We both want it. Don't worry about a thing. It's not gonna, it's not gonna tie you down, is it, sweetheart? Are you gonna feel trapped like you did last time? Like, like this pregnancy is something that was unexpected, and Mm. and and maybe something that potentially didn't necessarily cause conflict between them, but something that they had to consider later on after the baby is born and they're questioning, well, because of what happens, the cops end up showing up, but the doctor says to them, you didn't think anything was wrong. You eight months ago, you had inquired about abortion. Yeah. And Frank, Frank just immediately pipes in and says, well, you know, it's just this day and age. I mean, that's something to consider. You know, we it was a matter of convenience, but we decided to have the baby. Um, So you get the impression that, you know, this was something that they had thought about and considered that they they they've got this 11 year old kid. They I would guess they're in their what, like mid 40s, maybe. Um. And, and so, you know, maybe they weren't expecting another baby and it, it was something that they had to make a decision about, but they decided to have it. But even when the baby is coming, she's still concerned, like, is everything going to be okay? Or, you know, she's worried about how her husband's going to react. And, and I liked the way that they were portrayed. And I especially liked not only the way they were portrayed in the beginning, but how it became very believable that after things went wrong. Yeah. The way that they reacted to it felt, I don't know if it necessarily felt realistic, but it felt believable. You know, like I, yeah. I believed these characters. What happens is Lenore is in there. She's, you know, the doctors and nurses are all around and, and she's dilated 10. And the doctor says, 
wow, this baby is gigantic. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's probably at least 10 or 11 pounds and it has a ginormous head. Um, and so he's down there. And again, like, I do think that it, it speaks to the time because it's almost like, you know, she's there and he's talking to her, but it's almost like he's working on a car, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> like, like she's like, she's not a person at all. Now we're just putting forceps on the baby's head. Just breathe deep. And don't push, just pan. Now we're just easing the baby out. All right. Now, we just cut you. You didn't feel that, did you? No. Okay, fine. Now, the baby will be out in just about 30 seconds. I would hope that in today's day and age <laughs> that a doctor might say, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Be prepared instead of just, oh, we cut you. You didn't feel that, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, the next thing that we see after that is one of the doctors stumbles out into the hallway where Frank is waiting and, and um, he's all bloody on his neck and, and he collapses outside and, and Frank runs into the delivery room and all of the doctors and nurses are dead on the ground instantly. yeah like yeah like instantly like a freaking bomb went off in there or that's right and not bomb. only that and again this is something else that i don't know if this is a product of the time or what but lenora is like still still strapped to the bed yes like, like, like she's she's got like leather restraints on her true. arms like what do they think that she was gonna do that's <laughs> a good point <laughs> they deduce that um the baby came out and killed everybody yeah. um and then and then escaped yeah <laughs> the baby is gone it's and they talk about how like there's a broken skylight and it escaped through the skylight like okay yeah <laughs> It's a pretty quick conclusion to jump to, and the only I think their only explanation is, well, the, the hole in the skylight was too small for a man to get in. So at first there's like a quick like question as to if somebody broke in and stole the baby, and Frank at first is, yes. is angry at the hospital. He's like, they took you, you took, we trusted you. He keeps saying, I trusted you, and, and you guys took my baby. But then, like, the very next scene, suddenly they're, they're asking him, like, um, she didn't have any exposure to radioactivity, did she? And Frank is discussing with the doctor about how, well, naturally, it's it's an animal. It's not my son, and we need to kill it. So there's this complete 180 where he completely disavows the son. And it seems like yes. the reason for doing this initially is that he's concerned about their own reputation. You know, it's kind of yeah. a, a self-preservation thing. Do whatever you can. We, we definitely need to kill it. And he's basically giving the police carte blanche to do what they need to do. Right then right. and there. And as he's driving home from the hospital, uh, he hears a, a, immediately there's a radio uh, news broadcast about this. And he says, damn, they even named us on the radio. Oh, yeah. They give like on the radio, it like gives the exact full details of everything. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they and they name like they give their names and stuff like that is so ridiculous. And it doesn't just happen once. It happens again later. Oh, on. yeah. Like the full the full details of exactly what's like, going on broadcast right away. Practically tells their home address. You know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> right. And what I what I was trying to get at before is that I, I liked the representation of the parents, not because necessarily I thought that it was honest, but just because I thought that it was an interesting dichotomy. Like, and they make a big deal out of the fact that nobody saw the baby. Yeah, and I feel like that's a like that's kind of an important part. 
is that nobody saw it. At some point, somebody asks the mom, you must have at least got a glimpse at it. And she she kind of is like, oh, maybe I kind of got a glimpse. But it's like a big deal that they've never that they never saw it. And I think that's important. And it's important for the, the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Frank is, it right away is cooperating with the police. And the police say it's an animal. And um, when we find it, we're going to have to destroy it like an animal. And, and Frank is okay with that. But Lenore... From the very beginning, and and I could only imagine that this, okay, I I hope that no crazy demon killer babies are going to be born. But even (laughs) if that were the case, even if that happened, the mother, you know, she she says something like, and, and it's almost a throwaway. Like, I don't even feel like the camera is on her when she's saying this. I feel like it's on Frank, but. She says he was probably just afraid that they were going to hurt him. He's not ugly. Uh, and, and that would be the response that you would expect from a mother, you yeah. know, regardless of how monstrous this baby might have been. You know, uh, I would imagine that a mother would feel some sort of connection, some sort of empathy and, and want to help. And, um, and I appreciated that. And you see it in the performance. And as the movie goes on, there are there were points in the movie when I was taking my notes and I you could see it in the actor's face. It was like Frank is losing it. Like yeah. the what it what is what is going on, you know, all of this that's going on is literally driving these people mad. And and it would. Closer towards the end of the movie, I said the same thing about the the mom. Lenore is losing it. Like they just can't handle these circumstances. And I didn't recognize many of the actors or actresses uh, from this movie, but um, Lenore was played by a woman named Sharon Farrell. And when I looked her up, um, I noticed that she was in Night of the Comet, which have we done that movie? Did no, we talk we about the movie? I don't know. <laughs> no, uh. well, that's a good one. I remembered her specifically. She was Cindy Mancini's mom from Can't Buy Me Love, which was a huge movie oh. uh, in my childhood. Um, and in that movie, she's very beautiful and very, I, I don't want to say ditzy. She's actually a nice character in that movie. But in this movie, she comes across as very real. You know, she's got this very real mom, 70s, like perm. Um, she's not strikingly beautiful. She comes across, you know, as, as a regular lady. Um, and I appreciate that. In movies like Rosemary's Baby, where you've got Mia Farrow and and she's so pixie like and yeah. and and beautiful, it, she does a great job in that movie, and I love that movie too. But I liked in this movie that these people felt like real people, you know, yes. like these would be your neighbors, and to see how the events of the movie affect them psychologically, I, I think that that was probably my favorite part of of the movie to see how this affected them as individuals. Frank goes home, which again, in today's society, I wouldn't expect that. You know, you would yeah. kind of expect the husband to stay with the wife through these this traumatic experience. But no, he, you know, he goes home and he goes to work the next day. You know, he leaves her there and eventually she comes home uh, and whatever. The evil baby kind of goes on a rampage, I guess. Not really. I mean, we, we see these um, point of view shots uh, mm-hmm. from the baby that's the other thing too we never really see it i mean we get some very quick glimpses of it in really dark circumstances um but we never get to see it really full on ever really uh closer towards the end we see more of it it wasn't that it 
wasn't seeing the baby going around and killing people. That wasn't the part that was the most interesting to me. The, the part that was most interesting to me was how it affected the parents and how they dealt with it. And I, I, I don't know. I just thought that was it. Maybe, maybe an hour and a half was, was too long to explore that, but I, I thought it was really interesting. And I thought that both actors, uh, John P. Ryan, who played Frank and, and the lady who played Lenore, I thought they, they did a really good job with that. I, I agree with you 100%. And it plays out in such a believable way. And it almost has to be a little slow in order to give you that that sense. Because if something like this were to happen, I, I don't know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of The Happening, you know, which I think is a kind of misunderstood movie as well. But that's really a movie about people who are so dumbstruck by crazy things happening around them that they just literally are wandering around. They really don't know what to do. And yeah. this that seems pretty believable. You know, um, nobody's going to... You're not going to band together and have this amazing plan. Unfortunately, life is not really like a Hollywood movie. Life is pretty much like, uh, I guess we go home now and we wait to see what the police find. Right. And, and that's, right. how, that's how it happens. You know, they go home and he goes to work and his boss has this, this discussion with him where he's kind of like suggesting that he takes some time off. Um, but And you know, I mean, you can see it in his face and in the boss's face that he's basically telling him he's got to let him go because the controversy around this is too great for a PR man to hold his job. He's and, not coming back, yep. And you just, he's just kind of dejected from that. And it's funny, it's not like he comes home and he sputters and, and whatever. It's like, all right, I guess I just lost my job. But let's see how the wife is doing. I mean, he's... They keep Chris at the neighbor's house because they really don't know what to do with him. So, you know, it's just like they're they're flying around, uh, you know, waiting for that landing. Yeah, they're just treading water. And in the meantime, you see the kid kind of going around and killing some people. He kills a, a woman. Uh, he kills a guy in a milk truck, which is kind of a neat deal. And again, this is done in the way that uh, it's not very gory. Um, most no. all the murders pretty much happen off screen. Because they don't want to right. shoot the kid. But it's clever. I mean, it, it was neat. There's all this spilled milk out the back. And I was like, wait for it. Yep, yep. Yeah, red, red blood <laughs> with the spilled milk. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the meantime, like you said, the father is – all he knows to do is kind of disown himself from this kid. He's talking himself into – um, the fact that, you know, we have no responsibility for this child. He's not my child. And some researchers come and visit him in his house. You want to experiment on it, is that it? As a matter of fact, my department has already cautioned the police about excessive violence. If it could be dispatched with a bullet or, or better still, some kind of a gas. Undoubtedly, it is very small and any kind of bodily harm, especially from gunshots or, or explosives. So in other words, you want me uh, to sign away the body, is that it? Well, it's your right. After all, you are the child's father. It's not my child. In the meantime, mom kind of comes down the stairs and overhears a little bit of this, but doesn't quite know what's going on. Kind of goes back upstairs, and dad says some really interesting stuff about Frankenstein. When I was a kid, I always thought the monster was Frankenstein. You know, Karloff walking around in these big shoes grunting. I thought he was Frankenstein. Then I went to high school and I read the book, and I realized that Frankenstein was the doctor who created him. Somehow the identities get all mixed up, don't they? 
even though he's so steadfastly disowning the kid, there are some seeds that are being planted here where there's a part of him that's starting to actually feel some responsibility. And, he, and that's an internal struggle that he's having. And it's not overstated. It's very much understated throughout the movie. And I like that aspect. I think it's what we're talking about when we say that it's very real. Now, you have to have a lot of patience for this <laughs> because it does play out in real time. And honestly, real time is not necessarily good drama. Um, I think it could be argued that maybe the movie is just a little long. But in the same sense, you know, we're giving it some praise for being realistic. So I don't know. I'm a little conflicted as to whether or not it's a good movie because of it. Well, yeah, I, I mean, that's Frank really kind of comes across as an unlikable character because of what you just said. I mean, from the very beginning, I mean, even when they're in the hospital and the police are, are calling the baby an animal and he says, well, it's not an animal, it's a human being. And that's what scares you. Um, and, and the doctor, the police officer, whoever it is says, well, it kills like an animal and therefore we're gonna have to put it down like an animal. And, and he says, oh, I totally understand that. Do whatever you have to do. You know, I don't know if it's realistic or not, but I feel like I can understand the character motivation, you know, like he does, and he keeps saying it, it's not mine. It's not my flesh and blood. And, and, and you're right. I think it's that he just doesn't want to accept any responsibility for, for this thing that, you know, everybody finds so detestable himself included. Um, he doesn't want to accept any responsibility for it. Whereas you can tell, even though it's, it's not overt, even though the, the, the filmmakers don't focus on it, really. You can tell that the mother feels differently, mm -hmm. that, you know, regardless of what this child may be, it is mine. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, it, it is it is my child and I, I have feelings for it and I, and I want to try to understand and I want to try to help. Um, and, and I like that both of them kind of start to become unhinged, even though they're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. And you see that tension between them, too. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. That's that's why I appreciated the ending of the movie, which we'll get to here in a second. But that's why I appreciated it so much is because um, it kind of, you know, as, as adamant as he has been, the dad, and as, as cooperative as, as he has been. And I, I don't know that I necessarily found that particularly believable. The police, the doctors, the researchers the, yeah. at the university, the medical researchers, everybody, they're primary objective is kill it yeah. kill it kill it kill it and then we'll take care of it i would have expected that there would have been somebody you know from the scientific community or something that would have thought if we can take this thing alive we should take it alive but no everybody is like we got to kill it kill it kill it well and they're, and they're really, really pushing it but there is a, a, a bit of an explanation for that in that there, there's a scene um, that's pretty quick, but it's when the uh, representative from the drug company flies in. It sounded like they make birth control pills. And again, this, so, yes. this yeah. so dates the movie because this all would have been very timely. You know, matters of abortion, matters of pollution, and of course, birth control pills. Um, just a decade before this, I think, were even coming on the market. And they were controversial. And this guy's very concerned uh, about the image. He just can foresee that it's possible that they will find out that the reason that the baby was mutated or whatever is because she had been on birth control and that their pills were responsible. And he doesn't want that to happen, so he says to one of the investigators, But if 
there was nothing left of it. You know, we would be most grateful to you. Oh, uh, you have uh, had a very successful career until this uh, freak incident. Hmm? At the, you know, it could work out for the best. We have an opening on the board of our research and development department. Oh, we wouldn't want people to lose faith in us, would we? I mean, it's not the reason why everybody's pushing for it, but at least there's kind of a reason why that guy might have been pushing for it more than the others. Well, and I think that the movie was trying to do that. I think that it was trying to address some timely issues. Um, and, and I feel like it maybe fell a little bit flat in that area because uh, yeah. it, it just it, it just kind of felt like they were trying to insert them and and it felt like that. It felt yeah. like these things were just inserted. Like that, that scene that you just mentioned, it seemed to come out of nowhere. I didn't even know who those people were really right. that were talking. I mean, it was like this medical representative or something. Um, and I get what they were going for, exactly what you said. You know, these new birth control pills, controversial. Nobody really knew what the long-term effects were going to be, et cetera. There were other things. Um, when Frank was talking to the other dads in the waiting room, one of them was talking about how he was a exterminator. Um, and they had come up with these chemicals that, uh, were supposed to eliminate roaches, but really all it did was eliminate the roaches that we had, but it, it, it led to, uh, a new, larger, more aggressive form of, of roaches. Um, and, and so I, I think they were trying to say, here's all these things that are going on in our world that could potentially lead to this. Um, it it could be any number of things, you know, I don't know. Uh, I would imagine that Frank would have been probably around the age that maybe, um, he could have served in the military. So it could have been a children of thalidomide kind of thing. Like, you know, there's all kinds of, there's, there's all these possible explanations that they I feel like they're trying to say any one of these things could have led to this it doesn't really matter which one it was but if this was the outcome then how would people deal with it if this movie were to be remade again because I don't think that they addressed <laughs> I don't think they addressed any of those things at least as far as I remember in the remake that could be something that could be even more fleshed out as a plot element but then again to be fair you know kind of leaving it a mystery and not pinning it down to something i think is effective too because what does it really matter i mean and and i didn't know you know i couldn't tell if this how serious this movie was trying to be Mm. because really this could be a metaphor for any number of things um and at one point you know when the boss calls frank in he says, you know, these things happen. You know O'Connor's down in accounting. He's got a retarded kid. Insists on keeping him in the house, too. Well, nobody thinks a thing of that. Nobody blames him. <laughs> Again, hopefully, hopefully people wouldn't say that today. But it's just one of those things. If, if you have a child that is different for whatever reason, and, and there's a stigma around that difference, um, how do you deal with that? I, I can only imagine that it's a challenge um, for parents. And uh, obviously, most things wouldn't be this intense. Um, but right. uh, I, I do think that it's a real issue that people have to deal with you know, when, when unexpected things happen. You know, whether that be uh, your child is born with some sort of physical or, or developmental disability or 
or even, you know, if, if you have a kid and the kid is quote unquote normal and then grows up and turns out to be a monster, you know, like it would be hard. I can only imagine as a parent to take responsibility for that. I can see how mm. somebody like Frank would just want to disavow it and say, this, this isn't my fault. You know, I didn't do this. You can't pin this on me. Um, and I thought that that was an interesting, um, dynamic, uh, in the movie. Of course it's, it's exaggerated, but you know, metaphors are exaggerated. So I, I thought that was interesting. I don't know that they were necessarily going for that or if they were, I don't know that they were necessarily successful, you know, in this type of B movie, but I could see how it could bring up real life questions. And, and I did appreciate that. I, I, I did, did too. You know, know I, I think, think that you bring up a really interesting point here, and that it can be really read two ways. That the film, and it's hard to know what was intended. But I think this is definitely a movie that you can either see as a total kind of sensational B type movie that just goes on a little too long because it has that feel to it with the score and with the absurdness of it all. And like you said, some of the character decisions don't make a lot of sense. Um, the people, it's kind of black and white where these guys want to kill it and, and, you know, the parents are, you know, they're pushing the parents to kill it. There's a big chase scene kind of at the end, goes on a while. There are all these POV shots of the, of the, of the, of the baby and it, you know, kills a bunch of people as it goes on. But then if you want to read this deeper... There is a lot of depth that can be read into it in everything that we've, that we've talked about. And these lines that seemingly throw are throwaway. It may be just a skilled writer who's intentionally inserting those things in to kind of bring you, whether you know it or not, to the point where we were by the end of the movie. Um, I think all those little things kind of have an effect on you. And if that's the case, and that wasn't an accident, it's really good writing. Um, things come home for them quite literally <laughs> because uh, the baby makes it to the son's school and Frank, and so you know Frank goes with the police uh, to the school uh, because there's been a break in there and it kills somebody there. But Frank even mentions he's like my you know this my son goes to school here and uh, the cops like are does that bother you and he's like well yeah it kind of bothers me because what we're getting an idea of is maybe this baby is actually smart. You know, yeah. maybe this baby knows. And so he goes home that night and we get a very long drawn out sequence where he goes to the fridge and a whole bunch of milk's been drunk. So he goes and he asks his wife, like, um, is Chris home? He doesn't ask her directly, hey, did you drink a bunch of milk? <laughs> you know, which would have been a smart thing to do. But hey, you know, has, has Chris been home? Um, she's like, doesn't really give him a clear answer. So he goes upstairs and he sees that Chris's room has been trashed. He says, Chris, are you hiding? And then goes downstairs and asks her, you know, I told you not to lie to me. And again, she's really not giving a straight answer. This is the point where she's clearly coming unhinged. And then you're starting to wonder, wait a minute, does she know the baby's in the house and she's purposely trying to protect it? It turned, you know, he calls the neighbor and the neighbor's like, yeah, Chris has been here the whole time. Uh, so then he starts prowling around, but at the same time, Chris immediately breaks out and starts to run home. So, you know, they're trying to make this convergence, which, which in a modern movie would have been a probably pretty intense, pretty fast moving type sequence. But in this film, it's, it's rather slow and plotty. And it's like, come on, Frank, flip on some lights, stop prowling around the house, get your wife. If you're worried about the, uh, about something being in there, call the cops or get out of there, you know? Right. <laughs> Somehow the kid 
goes in, man, the, the, baby, the baby ends up in the basement. It's kind of a magical yeah, baby in a way. I, first, it's in the kids' room, then it's in the living room, and it sneaks right up on them, but they're right there. Uh, kind of like, you know, we talked about the, the puppets last week, like... Oh, please, somebody's going to see this baby running around if we correlate the POV shots with, you know, what's happening about seconds right. later. But anyway, yeah, he's in the basement. Um, the kid somehow ends up in the basement. Uh, Chris, and I'm not quite sure how he didn't just walk it's in the front like, it, door. Right, why he didn't. It doesn't really make any sense why he didn't just come in the front door. I, I, I don't know if he's just sneaking in or whatever. But, yeah, he comes through the basement. And and what has happened is that Lenore does know um, that the baby's there and, and she is coming unhinged. And she even says to Frank, as, as Frank kind of realizes, you know, he sees, he goes up and looks in the, the son's room and it's all kind of messed up. And so he comes down and, and he sees Lenore coming out of the basement and she closes the door like she's hiding something. And he says, what are you hiding down there? And she says, you know, um, and we see that Chris has snuck in to the house through the basement. And this was kind of an interesting part too, because the, the baby is down there. And again, we really haven't seen much of it. Um, but Chris immediately like bonds with it and says something like, it's okay. Don't be scared. I'll take care of you. But at the same time, Charlie, the neighbor bursts in through the outside door. The dad comes in through the, the door that's, connected to the inside of the house um and the baby attacks charlie and and what we're led to believe i think throughout the whole course of the movie and what they i think they try to really nail home uh at the end is that the baby attacks out of fear it's not just inherently malicious um it's afraid and it's it's scared and that's why it attacks and it attacks charlie and the dad shoots it frank shoots it um, he shoots at it several times, um, but he says, I'm almost positive I hit it. And as it turns out, he did. Uh, before, before we go, we go on, on to this last bit, bit I, just I just have to mention that there's, there's a, a point, point in this movie that, that, that where, where the, the film, film really started, started to bother me. me. Uh, uh, and, and that, that was that moment in the basement. And it's something that Lenore um, says to Frank. Uh, after, it's just before Frank shoots him. She's pleading with him not to, to do anything. Frank! That line just like suddenly really got to me, and I and I and I just my wife was in the room, and I just turned to her and I said, "Oh my gosh, this is really this is really sad." And uh, yeah, and. And I don't know if it's just because, like, suddenly it kind of hit home because I'm a new, I'm a new father and I just immediately place myself in that position. But it's like, yeah, everything you said, the, it's clear at that moment because the, the, this baby will attack anything that it comes close to. Right. But it doesn't attack the kid. It doesn't attack the mom. And it doesn't attack the dad. And so you can see that it's, it's hoping to be for dad to swoop down and pick him up in his arms, you know? Right. Um, and then dad shoots it. <laughs> yep. Uh, I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, it just really bothered me. It bothered me a lot. Yeah. And I didn't expect yeah, that. It, <laughs> up, up until, until this moment. <laughs> I know. It was unexpected, and I kind of felt the same way. And I felt the same way moving forward uh, as well. And and I, I did think of you. So so he, he shoots it, but it's not dead. 
Um, but because it has been injured, then it's bleeding so they can track it. Uh, and they track it to the sewers uh, and, and they figure out, oh, that's how it's been able to get all around town without people knowing or, or seeing it. Um, and there's this whole big chase where Frank wants to go with them. And one of the police guys says to him, you feel like you have to be the one that does it, don't you? And he says, yes, I, I'm going to do it. And he and, and the cop is like, did you see it? And he said, no, it was too dark. I couldn't really get a glimpse. But I know that when I see it, I'll be able to do it. And then there's this whole chase uh, through the sewers where like the cops are driving their cars through the sewers and stuff. It's all, you know, super intense. Um, and they give Frank this big rifle. Everybody's searching around. Frank somehow ends up on his own and he's searching around. Uh, and he is the one that finds the baby. And then like I said way earlier, you know, I thought this movie was kind of plotting. I, I didn't know that I was all that much into it. And then there was this scene and it just kind of floored me. And it really kind of broke my heart, like almost to the part to the point where I wanted to cry yeah. a little bit because uh, Frank finds the baby and he shines his flashlight on the baby and the baby is just huddled in a corner injured and scared and crying like a baby and that that finally gets to him he says i know it hurts but everything is going to be all right i was scared like you are and and as he's saying this he starts to cry and like i didn't like this guy you know oh. I, I i was really mad at this guy throughout the whole course of the movie and then at this point i started thinking god maybe i judged him too harshly you know maybe he this was a really really terrible terrible situation for him to find himself in and he didn't know how to react and his reactions were you know, it, it was just, you know, this kind of natural reaction, this kind of natural disgust, this kind of push it away. This isn't me. This isn't mine. I, I, I don't want to be connected to it. I don't want to be responsible for it. And then when he finally sees the baby for the first time, he feels that connection and, and he wants to protect uh, the baby. And that's what he does. You know, he picks it up and wraps it up in his, his jacket and tries to run away, um, and protect it from the police. And I was surprised how moved I was, um, by that moment and how in that moment, I kind of felt like that character came to a realization, like, what have I done? Um, and, and it was, it, it, it <laughs> I was surprised by how sad it made yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was too. And, and I, I was crying actually at that point. point. I really was. Uh, uh I, I couldn't believe that the, that the movie got, got to that point. point. And, uh, and, and you know, you, know, you can, can see it coming. coming. I, I knew this was, was going to yeah. happen. I, I really did. I really felt like there was going to be a moment because it's very cinematic and also because it's, you know, it's kind of Frankenstein. Well, except Frank, you know, by that point at the end of the, of the book, Frankenstein really, really wants, wants to kill the monster, monster. but yeah. um, <laughs> but, but but you know, I, I expected there to be this moment in the movie. I did not expect it to to bother me as much as it did, and, and I think it, that scene it just lingers so long on Dad, and the acting I think is fantastic, and it's not afraid. Bless that director's heart. He was not afraid to take his time with the scene and let it linger. And the actor's tears came, and they came at the right moments. And it's just a really skillfully, a simple, simple, but skillfully done scene. Yeah, and I was into it the whole time. Uh, 
they had me hook, line, and sinker. And you just like you, I... I had a whole new appreciation for everything that came before it, I think. Because you're right, you kind of hate this guy. Um, and, and it's amazing that the turnaround that you get at this point. But, but if you look back, it was signaled. I mean, you can, you can look back and see points at which, oh yeah, you can see the, the inner turmoil that he was feeling that led up to it. So it made perfect sense. It didn't come out of left field. Yeah, and I, and I think that that is, gosh, I'm going to go ahead and get all deep here, but I, I think that that is something that probably a lot of people have experienced with um, either their children or their parents, where there's just something that that keeps you separated. You know, there, there there's something that causes this distance between parents and children. Sometimes, whatever it may be. Um, whether it may be just, you know, a kid didn't turn out the way that their parents had hoped, like, you know, uh, the kid didn't want to carry on dad's business or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or, or any number of things. Um, but then I think that there are times in life where then there's just this realization, it doesn't matter, it's my kid, and I love my kid no matter what. And, and no matter what it is that I have a problem with, when it comes right down to it, it's my kid and I love my kid and I want to protect my kid. Um, and, and I, 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 maybe that's why it resonates not only with you as a new dad or, or, or me for whatever reason, but, um, I think that we can all understand, we can all appreciate that. And, and it's strange to find a moving moment like that, um, in a, <laughs> a, stupid <laughs> B movie, a stupid B movie about a killer baby, <laughs> uh, and, and, <laughs> and I'm sitting here almost getting choked up about it now, and that's so dumb. But but you know, I I think that it is something we can all relate to. And when you know when he sees the baby, it is monstrous. You know, like it's got like these big talon claws, and it's got like these fangs. Um, but at the same time, it's small and vulnerable, and you can tell that it's scared. And it's, it's, it is sad. You know, I can understand, I, I understand why you cried. I'm surprised I didn't. I cry about anything, <laughs> um, but you know, so he wraps the baby up in a jacket and he, uh, he, he starts running away from the police and, and they're, you know, in hot pursuit and he eventually gets out of the sewers, but the cops are just there waiting for him. And Lenore is there and upset and and you know all these police have their guns trained on him and they're saying drop it drop it and he's saying no it it's injured it 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 can't hurt anybody uh he says lock it up study it just don't kill it and the cops are all standing around there and and I, i i'm not sure i feel like i was supposed to remember who this character was but i didn't there's one character who's like in a suit and he's He's just going, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it now. Like he does, they don't even care that, you know, if they have to shoot Frank in the process, they will. And this one guy is is chanting basically, kill it, kill it. And so Frank (laughs) takes the baby and throws it on that guy who is saying, kill it, kill it, kill it. And the cops shoot um, the baby and that guy uh, and they're both dead. That was, that was a little, little unrealistic, unrealistic that, that, that bit. bit. I'm, I'm sure, sure that the cops are going to open fire, fire on people, you know, even, even if there's... Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of rolled, rolled my eyes at that part. part uh, but, well, right. And I mean, at this point, it's like we've got to... You, you knew... I couldn't imagine that they were just going to take the baby away. It feels very much like a tragedy. Yeah. The whole thing feels like a tragedy. And so I knew that it had to end tragically, and I knew that the baby was going to die, and 
And that's what happens. And then Frank and Lenore um, are reunited. You know, she's kind of standing right outside of a cop car. You know, just such subtle things mm. that I'm surprised to find in this type of movie. You know, Frank kind of walks up to her and they don't say anything. But you can just see in her face that while she's devastated, she's resigned to how this has turned out. Like, mm. it's over. You know, like she's devastated, but it's over and, and they just get in the back seats together and they're just sitting there quietly and the cop in the front seat, who's, I don't know, the commander or something. Um, uh, he gets a call on his private line, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he takes the call and he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he hangs up. Um, and then he just says, another one's been born in Seattle. And then they drive away, and that's it, and, yeah. and that's the end. Um, and and I kind of saw that coming too, oh, you yeah. know, like that this that this wasn't going to be an isolated thing. And maybe I saw it coming because I read the descriptions of the, <laughs> of, the of the sequels. <laughs> and, and I, I guess I guess in the second sequel, it's kind of about how this has become an epidemic, like these babies are being born all over the place, and how they deal with that. And the third sequel is called Island of the Alive. And I guess they, they, <laughs> they round up all these babies and like they put them on this deserted Island and like these human rights activists, like oh band together to go rescue them or something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, you, you start, start with, with a goofy, goofy premise. premise. <laughs> uh, it's, it's weird. You know, like you said earlier, like it seems like a made for TV movie. I don't know if things changed at some point in the seventies, but like the credits come up and all we, we get the cast and then the production company, and then that's it. There's yeah. like 15 seconds of, of credits. Um, so it did kind of feel like a TV movie uh, in that regard. But um, as much as I was looking at my watch and maybe kind of checking in on Facebook every once in a while while I was watching the movie, the end really left me kind of troubled. Like, um, mm -hmm. I finished it. My partner doesn't watch these movies with me because he's not interested at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so so I was watching it in the living room and I, I walked back into the bedroom where he was watching TV and I was like that was a pretty stupid movie but like now I'm really sad <laughs> <laughs> so so you know I don't know it's, it's difficult for me to evaluate because on the whole I would say, I don't know, it was all right. It was kind of a typical B-movie, but it, there was something about the ending that really kind of gut-punched me. And I guess you got to give credit for that. I mean, uh, it affected me more than a lot of movies that I see. No, no same, same here, here, man. And, and I, thought I thought maybe it was just because, because uh, you, you know, know, I've got, got a kid who, who woke up crying for something, you know, just minutes after the movie ended. ended. And I, and I, I, I picked him up and I looked at him with a whole new light. I was like, wow, you're, I'm glad you turned out the way you did. I actually said that to him. So it's funny, but you know, we do, you know, and it's funny that you talk about some of these other things because that is something that kind of goes through your, your, your head, head. Um, as, as a parent, parent even, you know, stuff, stuff I thought, I thought about even before I was a parent, but, um, you know, you, you always imagine that your kid's going to be great, but, you know, what, what, what it must be like to have a child who ends up in jail because they killed somebody or right, completely wrecked their, their life somehow. somehow. Um, it, it doesn't, doesn't have, have to be that they're, they're a monster, monster you know, they're, they're just... just 
things just go wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah, they're people, people and people, people are people, and everybody's got a mother, mother, you know. So right, right. yeah, yeah it, 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 does, it does it does cause some pause. Uh, as dumb as as, as it, it seems that you would be <laughs> that a movie like this would affect you in that way and cause you to ask those questions. I, it just, it really did. I was, I was just as shocked as you. All right. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us on Facebook where we have a page. Let us know what you thought there. Like us. Tell us what you think of this movie. And, of course, recommend any other films that you'd like us to do. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. 